Howdy, everybody. Welcome to Track 33, The Script. And this is the Rook and the Kid podcast. And I'm your host, The Rook, and I'm joined by The Analyst. And we are back. And we had a delayed start this week. We had a, a lot of people were working men this week, working men. So we're recording on a Thursday evening, and we'll drop this on Friday. So if you're listening, happy Friday. Um, and if you are a first-time listener, we'd invite you to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, if you're a first-time listener, if you've been here the whole time, you know we welcome you in. We always enjoy, um, you know, the the very few or many of y'all that des- that decide to check in on uh, what the script is and how we can shatter it. So also, you can visit you know track.pod on Instagram to view our link tree um, or on the track pod on Twitter, and that'll give you access to all of our different avenues of podcasting, videos, content, um, etc. So. Appreciate you guys joining in. Uh, we got a lot to talk about this week. Of course, you know, we've got the championship round just concluded this past weekend, and we're looking forward to the Pro Bowl. Or we're not looking forward to it, but we're entering into the Pro Bowl weekend this week uh, with all the fun festivities of flag football and uh, dodgeball. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. So um, very exciting stuff this weekend, I guess. But then the following weekend, we have the Super Bowl matchup, which we're going to get into. We're going to recap the championship round, give you all a little shatter the script um, on the Super Bowl as well. We're going to cover the Associated uh, Press's um, nominees for the players of the year for 2023 season. And then a lot of the head coaching changes and offense coordinator, defensive coordinator changes around the league. Um, and of course, our track breaking of the week. Um, so yeah, welcome in. And we're starting off hot with our uh, championship round recap. Um, and that was cons- that consisted of the Chiefs and Ravens and the 49ers and the Lions in the NFC. Um, so, you know, beginning with the AFC matchup, the Chiefs and the Ravens, somehow, some way, the Chiefs come away with a 17 <laughs> to 10 ugly win versus the Ravens. And this was a scrappy one from start to finish. Um, a lot of points were left on the board for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I don't know if I could say the same exactly for the Chiefs, but, you know, the, the Ravens, I think, in this matchup got the short end of the stick. Um, and credit to both ball clubs, you know, we'll, we'll talk football first and then we can maybe get into the script, um, towards the end. But, um, yeah, I mean, what do you think of this game? Um, the analysts, I mean, I know there was a lot happening. There was some wild plays like that tip ball at the line of scrimmage that was caught by Lamar Jackson. Um, I know there was a, you know, the taunting from Zay Flowers and the fumble in the end zone by Legereus Sneed on Zay Flowers. There's just a lot of back and forth happening and, you know, not even just that, but even before the game the the beef going around with Justin Tucker and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, you know, them playing a little adult uh, <laughs> banter before the game. Um, but what were your thoughts on this matchup and the Chiefs advancing to another Super Bowl? Oh, man, the Ravens are in, are down bad. Out of the, I think, like, if you really look at both of these games that were played this weekend, like, you would have to say that the Ravens' loss was definitely a little bit more demoralizing than the Lions' loss. Um, I will start with the Ravens for me. You know, the Ravens all year have been a really good running football team. They've always been really good at, you know, switching out running backs, keeping Lamar, like, in, in the running game. And, you know, throughout the year, we've talked about how we wanted to see Lamar become a better passer. But, like, Lamar's strengths, to me, are his ability to create plays in space. And, it felt like he was trying to prove in that game that he could pass the ball and prove his critics wrong. But there's a lot of times where, you know, you would see the middle open up 
and he wouldn't take off and he would get sacked or, you know, he had that strip sack um, earlier in the game. And then, you know, just a lot of mishaps for, for the Ravens. Um, one stat that stuck out to me when I'm talking about running the ball is they only ran the ball eight times with running backs. And that's just crazy to think about, especially how good they are. Like I said earlier, they are running the ball. They're really good at involving their tight ends in yeah. the running game and then kind of building their offense off of that. So um, that was really disappointing to see. And, uh, you know, flipping to the other side of the ball, the Ravens defense played extremely well. Um, yeah, they only gave up 17 points to the Chiefs. Uh, they At the beginning, it looked like they were going to get ran up and down the field on, but they kind of, you know, buckled down, were able to make plays later in that game and hold the Chiefs scoreless in the second half of the game and basically give – the Ravens offense multiple opportunities to score and and they didn't. So, you know, I have some notes on here for Lamar, but I'll let you give your your points first before I get into Lamar and you know yeah. something I would like to point out that I don't think a lot of people pay attention to. Yeah, so. yeah, and I might have. Hopefully, I didn't. Um, hopefully, I don't steal that. Um, but yeah, you know, Mark Jack, uh, Mark Andrews came back for this game, so they got their their number one target you know, essentially on offense. So we, we, we kind of figured there might be some explosiveness there, um, especially how Isaiah likely kind of filled in that role in his absence in those, you know, eight, nine weeks that he was gone. Um, and so that was a great addition in a, in a, a very positive thing going into this game. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was sitting there watching it with you and the kid and, and just kind of sitting there like, wow, it just seems like Lamar Jackson is, is not only just trying to do too much, it almost seemed like he was trying to do too little um, because, you know, he only had eight carries on the day and it looked like there was room for more. There was, uh, you know, and, and they always talk about, you know, the get, the way to beat Lamar Jackson is to make him throw. Um, well, the, the way to the way Lamar Jackson beats himself is that he isolates his game into one phase. And the way that he wins ball games is he accepts that he's, you know, he's a master of all trades. He can run. He can be mobile. He can throw in the run. He can throw in the pocket. Um, when he, whenever he sees um, the right to do so, so that's his strength, and it just seemed like it escaped him in this game. Um, you know, on Baltimore side, and of, of course, you had their defense, you know, starting off slow, like you said, and then towards the end, um, kicking it into gear and holding, holding them scoreless in the second half. But you know, I honestly, th there needs to be a narrative, um, a, that, a standard basically held across the league, basically with every quarterback. Um, and it started with Josh Allen versus, you know, his playoff wins were against subpar quarterbacks in his career. But the ones where he's lost have been against the greats. And I spoke about it last week about the AFC is just loaded with juggernaut quarterbacks once you get into the playoffs. And you were missing one or two this year with, you know, Joe Burrow being injured. Um, and, you know, Joe, of course, Joe Flacco coming in, being their third or fourth quarterback that season. So. And I'm not so I don't want to discredit this because if you took a lot of those AFC quarterbacks and threw them in the NFC, you'd probably see twice as much success in terms of playoff. Um, so you know, being in a division with Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Tua, Lamar, you know, now you CJ Stroud, CJ Stroud, yeah, the newcomer, um, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, you like that's not easy at all, and. So, but yeah, the narrative here on Lamar Jackson that, that you want to keep the same energy on when they when they bash other other quarterbacks is that his only two playoff wins, you know, have come against 
what was his name? C.J. Stroud and Ryan Tannehill. And that's C.J. Stroud in his rookie year, which they were clearly just weren't ready. So they're just, I don't know, there needs to be kind of a standard held. And it's its not just about a, a win on the stat sheet for playoffs that defines a, a football player. There's a whole lot more context to the game. And I'm kind of giving that argument, whatever side you want to be um, with these quarterbacks. So uh, I thought Lamar fought his ass off. But yeah, I just think he kind of hurt himself, kind of isolating himself to one part of, uh, of the game. And, you know, the no running game did not help Baltimore in this, you know, they're. Yeah. Yeah, I have I have two major points to make here. One is like, what excuses? Kind of what you're talking about is what excuses left for Lamar Jackson. You know, not a great playoff record. He's two and four, but like you said, he's got two wins against the quarterbacks you named. And then, like, just thinking about this year alone, they they went through this entire season just raining through teams. I mean, they beat the crap out of the Lions. Any NFC team they. Yeah, that in any, any, yeah. any NFC team they played, they, they destroyed. Yeah, 49ers they destroyed. Um, they handled all business when it came to the Bengals and anybody else in their division. I mean, they made Miami look like a joke earlier this year. Um, you know, they were killing everybody. And so when you look at them going into the playoffs, they have the number one seed. They didn't have to play Burrow. They didn't have to play Allen. And they played the worst team that Mahomes you're probably ever going to see Mahomes have for a long, long time. Like this was the time yeah. to make that jump into the Super Bowl for Lamar Jackson, and that's why I was saying, you know, this this loss for the Ravens is just detrimental. I think more detrimental than it is for the Lions. And yes. just on top yeah. of that, you know, like Lamar Jackson got everything he wanted to this offseason. He got a super max contract. He got two. He asked for more receivers. They drafted one on the first round with Zay Williams or Zay Flowers. And then they went out and got OBJ, who, you know, I don't think is who he was, but, you know, he's still a good receiver when it comes to down in the playoffs. I mean, he was a yeah. huge help to the Rams Super Bowl a couple years ago. And then his defense is the best in the league. I mean, they, they haven't given up points all year. And then they play Mahomes in the AFC Championship game and hold them scoreless in the second half. And then he's got two new coordinators. The coordinator yeah. for um, the defense, Mike McDonald, who's now a coach elsewhere. We'll get into that later. And then uh, the Georgia offensive coordinator a couple of years ago that built this entire offense around him. And they get in the AFC championship, and he doesn't play very well. So yeah. it's like that looks really bad for Lamar in, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And then the next page I want to talk about is Zay Powers. You know, yeah. Zay Flowers fumbled the ball at the, at the one-yard line, which, you know, sometimes you can't control that. But right there, you know, at the one, you got to know this is the most crucial time in the season. You're going into the end zone, and you dive and put the ball out. Like, and there's plenty of time on the clock. It wasn't like a fourth and goal. It wasn't like last play of the game. It was like if we just get down to one here. We're going to punch this thing in. But he fumbled right there at the one. Then the other point I want to make is that stupid taunting call that he had. And I know that, like, I just, I said it before. It's just, you're in the most crucial, you know, part of the season. I know that Travis Kelsey was doing stuff, you know, throughout the game. But my whole point to that was, was like, he did it in the most crucial time of when the Ravens needed to make something happen. And I know they got, you know, multiple opportunities, but you can't do it 
right when your team needs you the most in the most crucial game to get to the Super Bowl. I mean, when you're pushing a yeah. guy down and throwing the ball in his face and standing over him, that's a little bit different than getting a little chirp, you know, get, getting a little chirp session after right. a player hitting in somebody's face mask. Like, put the ball down, you know, maybe get up and just do a first down or something, but to get up, throw the ball in his face, push the guy down and do all that and then come off the field and blame the ref the next day. To me, that's just like all time. Like, dude, what the, what the hell are you doing? Right. So yeah. anyway, that that's it for what I have for the Ravens, for the yeah. Chiefs now. Like everybody's been saying it for the last couple of days, but Mahomes is inevitable. Mr. I mean, inevitable. He is. I mean, I, the note I have on here is he's clearly the best of all time. In my yeah. opinion, he's got he's done so many different things. And like, if you go look at the stats that everybody keeps throwing out the last couple of weeks, like the identical run that he's having that Brady had, and he's about the same age as Brady at the time. I think he's just doing more of this team. I mean, yeah, you watch this game I'm talking about the Chiefs early in the game got into multiple third downs in the early in the game where they were going to have to punt or whatever, and he just makes a freaking Play. I mean, throwing off his back foot, the one hit where he's about to get sacked, and he does a whole flip around and still up and making plays. Like, that's something you would expect out of Lamar. But Mahomes is Mahomes. And that, I mean, he was highly efficient. He didn't yeah. throw for a lot of yards, but he was 30 of 39. I mean, yeah. that's against the Ravens defense. That's pretty phenomenal. So, I mean, all year we talked about how this team was completely deflated. They're not the same Chiefs. They're not the same Chiefs. He needs help at receivers. And he just took this roster and was like, screw it. We're going the distance. So that's what he did. And, I mean, his defense is great. You know, we've been saying all year that he's a def- this is a defensive Chiefs team because their defense is pretty good. But yeah. Mahomes got it down multiple times during this game and was able to make huge plays on third down, money downs. Yeah, and that that was the game changer. So, yeah, that's that's it for me on the Chiefs. Yeah, and that's what that's what counts is you know those money downs and you know all year we've been talking about how yeah the defense has kind of been louder than the offense, but it doesn't take away from the fact that Mahomes is carrying this team. And you know I even went back to try and see if I could debunk um, certain things to different not even Mahomes just to different players that faced him. And I just was as I was looking, I just became more and more educated that Mahomes is carrying such a load um, for his team. You know, he's never really had a strong defense in his career. You know, unlike Brady, who had always had basically a top five defense entering the playoffs. And honestly, you know, you look at Brady's playoff numbers, you know, in the playoffs, they're not impressive, you know, stat wise. I mean, yeah, I get it. You know, he had those glorious moments and um, he had a ring that was, you know, handed to him by the Seahawks and then another ring that was, you know, miraculously won, uh, which credit to the Patriots in the Atlanta Falcons game down 28 to three. But then you just look at Mahomes talent wise. I mean, we always there was always the arguments like, oh, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is better than Brady. It's like, well, yeah, we get it. He's better talent wise. But then in terms of success, you know, Brady is one of the best team players um, and had the best organization of teams, um, whether that be because of him or his leadership or Bill Belichick you know, in the history of the NFL. And so what we're seeing right now is Mahomes is clearly the best on on the planet um, in terms of playing quarterback. And um, he had an outstanding run, like statistically wise, since he's entered the playoffs. I don't know if you saw those stats, 
I think it was like some 32 plus touchdowns and like less than nine or less than 10 interceptions, um, which because he had played a full 17 games in the playoffs. So they calculated a full season and the numbers are insane. And you're yeah. like, oh, my God. Like, I mean, this this is probably I, I get it. We're so tired of watching him in the playoffs. We're so t- we, I mean, of course, we can get into the, the Taylor Swift stuff later, but we're so tired of, you know, talking about. Uh, seeing Mahomes like, well, we just keep seeing the same matchup every year. It's always Mahomes. I mean, he's becoming the villain because it, th- there's a great quote from a Christopher Nolan movie. He said, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And that is exactly what is going on right yeah. now with Patrick Mahomes. And to your point, the whole difference between like what you're saying about Brady in that time of play, it's like, yeah, the game looks different. You know, they like you think of when we were growing up, we were the best quarterbacks. It's like, you know, you had. Brady, Peyton Manning, yeah. Drew Brees. You know, if you want to throw Roethlisberger in there, sure. Philip Rivers. Well, you mean you look at those five guys of his name, they're all yeah, five Manning. Guys. Like, obviously, the game has changed. And, you know, you're seeing more guys that are more mobile and gunslinger-type guys like Lamar, Mahomes, Allen. You know, those guys that are moving around in the pocket more. But – that's kind of the point that I think Jared's trying to make here is that Mahomes is the best quarterback and is winning as the best quarterback. Like, I think at the time you could have said, like, well, I think Rodgers is the best quarterback. And that there was a formidable argument to make about how Rodgers was a better quarterback than Brady, but yeah. Rodgers just didn't have what Brady had. But you can't make like I don't think right now in the NFL you can't make that argument against Mahomes because Mahomes is playing as the best quarterback and doesn't have what like you know Josh Allen has or Joe Burrow has with three great receivers or or I said Josh Allen Joe Burrow uh, what Burrow has or like what Herbert has with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams even though they're never on the field but like. He he he's doing this. This is the first time this year, and this is what I was referring to earlier about having the quote unquote worst team he's had. Yeah, this is the first time that Mahomes hasn't had like a great wideout option, and he had the season he had like he quietly had another four thousand yard season. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and is now in the Super Bowl. Like you, it's crazy that that's going on. Yeah. Yet again, I know nobody wants to see it because it's like, yeah, great. I know a quarterback that's going right. to be in the Super Bowl every year. But, I mean, the argument to say that somebody else is better than Holmes is just, like, outright stupid to have. Yeah. So, like, and you, you have could to tolerate that argument in 2010 when Brady was playing quarterback. But now that argument is just not even arguable. So. Yeah, yeah. And I think the best way to put it is he's doing the most with less. Um, yeah. The most with the least. And and it's the last point I'll make about this game and Mahomes and all that kind of stuff is like uh, like the Buffalo Bills. Right. They, they went into this to this game against the Chiefs two weeks ago and everybody was heartbroken when they lost. It's like this was Josh Allen's chance to beat Mahomes when he was at his weak weakest and play him at home in Buffalo. And they failed to do it, um, even though they definitely probably should have won that game. And then you flip to Lamar and it's the same narrative. This is your one chance that you could, you had the stronger team on paper you know, historically that year, you're the, you're the MVP and 
you come in here at home and you lose to to um, Patrick Mahomes, and you're just like, I mean, that's why we call him Mister Inevitable. It's just this was your year to beat him because I'm telling you this right now. Next year they're going to get stronger. They're going to go sign yeah. a number one. They're gonna they're gonna have a a newborn number one already with Rashi Rice. They're not going to have to count on Travis Kelsey as much. Um, so they're going to get shit done like they do every year. And you better watch out because if he can do this with this kind of roster and, you know, with this less of an option um, offensively, then you better buckle up and get ready um, because, you know, the one thing the NFL likes as well is the current relationship status of, you know, the Chiefs players that they got there with celebrities. So Yeah, but, um, I mean, the other point – of that too is like you saw that Kelsey wasn't what he used to be. Like he's getting older yeah. and he's a tight end. So you know that the Chiefs are not gonna sit there and be like, well, we're just gonna throw Kelsey and Mahomes out there again. Like they're gonna go get somebody. Yeah. Whether it be Higgins, Mike Evans, you know, somebody, one of these guys that are going on the free agent market, you know, there's it's a lot a good of receiver draft too. Yeah. And they're gonna go get somebody and they're gonna, I mean, they have Rasheed Rice out there that's already kind of developing. They're going to go get somebody else to pair with that, and Holmes is going to go out there and have another 4,500-yard season next year. Yeah, so. he's going to ball. Um, but, yeah, so the 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 Chiefs advanced to the Super Bowl, um, and so now we'll flip over to the NFC side. The, the 49ers defeated the Lions 34-31. to 31. Um, And, boy, like when we were watching this game, we really thought that the Detroit Lions were going to come out and s- just smoke the crap out of them w- the way that this game started off. I mean, the scheme that Ben Johnson wrote up was a was an elemental scheme to get him ahead. You know, they were up twenty four to seven or ten at halftime. Twenty four um, to I think it was twenty four to three at half. No, I, I think they had at least seven. Um, but it was it was right. a three, on, let me, yeah. yeah. It was, I knew it was a, like a three score game. Twenty four to seven. You're right. Yeah. Um, and so it, they were in control and we, we were sitting there discussing about, you know, can Brock Purdy, we were always wondering, can Brock Purdy play from behind? Because in the past, when, when he's playing from behind, he kind of struggles. It's because he's, he's not really used to it. It's not something that happens very often. Um, and the narrative will tell you, or the mainstream will tell you that Brock Purdy won that game for the 49ers. The truth of the matter is, is the 49ers defense and, Dan Campbell's decisions won that game for the 49ers. Um, you know, being inside the um, the 30 yard line twice in the second half for the Lions offensively, and then opting to go for it on two fourth and threes and failing, which is a credit to the defense. And I get it. I said um, in the divisional round that Dan Campbell should not change his ways, and I like that he went for it on fourth down. Um, but we talked about it early in the game when they kicked that first field goal in the first half that. Um, you know, you need you can't have any points left on the board. And Dan Campbell proceeds to do that stuff in the second half, like going for it twice. And then, of course, the fumble to open up the second half. It just gave 49ers. I mean, I think they they tied it up before the fourth quarter even started, you know, down yeah. three possessions. And you're just like, what what in the world was that lead even for? Yeah, um, it's 24-24 going into the fourth. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so that that to me is is on the uh, I, I disagree with the call. I wouldn't say it's on the coaches, but you put your team in a bad predicament to where if you, I get it, you want to be aggressive. Maybe the first time you want to go for that. The second time though, I'm kicking a field goal. I'm, yeah. I'm putting some points on the board. 
um, and at least getting three instead of zero on. Well, here's the thing, though. The reason they did that, and that's the point I have on here, is like they had a kicker at the beginning of the year that sucked. They got this other kicker, and he was like 12 of 20 from 45 plus. And it was the guy that lost the job over the year. So I saw a stat that the Lions fourth and three and under all year were like 85%. And that was what the first one was, was fourth and three. Then you flip it around, and then they were on like the 40, so it would have been about a 50-yard field goal. That kicker was 12 of 20. So, like, I mean, there was a couple of questionable calls, but, like, when you're up 14 – about to go into half, and you decide to go for it and lose, and they go down in sports like, oh, shit. But at the same time, it's like, we've been doing it all year. Yes, yeah. Like, the way, like, I think that's a good way to say it is like, they blown the blown read, the blown lead really sucks. And there's a lot of questionable calls that you can go back and forward with. But I, that's why I was saying that the Ravens' loss was worse than this Lions' loss because the Lions died on their sword. Yeah. yeah they died. They, they went out and said, right way, they're like, hey, we've been doing this all year. If it fails us before we get into the Super Bowl, that is what it is. Like, we're going for it right here because this is how we built our team. And yeah, this, this is, is our culture. Yeah. Yeah. So, I like, at the same time, why I do think it's questionable, maybe the second time you kick the field goal to tie the game up. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I'm Dan Campbell. We go for it on fourth down. I trusted my guys. We're going for it. Yeah. At the same time, it's like, you, you know, you can get behind that. It's not yeah. like Brandon Staley on the Chargers who started off doing that and then, like, would flip the switch and be like, oh, my God, pump the ball. You know, yeah. he, he stuck to his guns. And while they, they might have lost the duel, you know, at least he's still holding the same revolver. So there's another metaphor yeah. to throw. That's a good there. one. Yeah. Yeah. And Dan Campbell, um, you know, he stuck to his guns. And I think – he, the thing about Dan Campbell that I think if you're an NFL and football fan, uh, more of a football fan, and you're an, an analytical, you take an analytical approach to the game, and you understand the context of football, you're looking at Dan Campbell, and you should be appreciating that he didn't go into a shell when things got tough. Yeah. He he stuck to his guns. He's like, I've been doing it, like you said, I've been doing it this year, this way, all year long, and I'm not going to change because I trust in my guys, and that's a culture that they're going to build in Detroit, which I think people can appreciate. But he made a very good point, unfortunately, after the game that said this was our one year, this was our chance this year to get things done because nobody thought we were going to be here and nobody knew what to make of us. Now they do going into 2024. So that was your chance to shock the world. Well, now you're going to have to go beat the world, basically, yeah. and and overcome, you know, a team that mm-hmm. expects you to be good. You were shooting at targets on everybody else's back, but now you're putting on the target body vest. That's this right. is the best way to put that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But a lot know, of shooting pro- going on here. Yeah, a lot of uh, Western analogies and combat analogies. Uh, but, you know, on the 49ers side of things, you know, props, like, again, props to their defense. And Shanahan, like, I really do think that, that Dan Campbell's ability to stick to his guns is what helped Shanahan win this game. And it, it had nothing to do with the fact that Shanahan out coached Dan Campbell. Cause he definitely did not. Um, and it was more the fact that they died on their sword, uh, that yeah. the Detroit lions, they died, they fell on the sword. Um, and 
I just they didn't really impress me. And I, I do think, you know, we'll talk about going into the Super Bowl, who I think is like just kind of the headline because we're going to do predictions next week, but just kind of the headlines of the Super Bowl. We'll get into that. But, you know, I just I wasn't I was more impressed with the Detroit Lions than I was the 49ers is the general consensus of this game. Um, now, I did not want the 49ers. Or I'm sorry, the, the Detroit Lions to win this game because once again, I can't appreciate a, a good thing because I've got fans in my ear um, who are also friends that are just yapping about, you know, whatever you want to say. And it just it just drives me up a wall. Like if you would meet these people and hear what they have to say, you're like, why can't you just let us enjoy this? We're on. You're you're the good guy and I can't yeah. enjoy you. It's the same thing with the Texans. It's like this is an outstanding quarterback and a young team and a great story. Fuck, I don't want him to win. You know, it's like it's I just it's the same thing. It was the same thing with the Lions, and I and I get it. Not everybody has the same experience with me. I, I, I was about to say I've of, got a good a lot Lions friend. Yeah, that is actually you have like a good a legitimate. One. Yeah, like he's like I was wanting the Lions to win this game because like they just have a cool story. It's kind of like we were talking about with Dan Campbell. The, like nobody expected him to be there. Yeah, and right now they're whipping the Niners' ass in the first half, and I mean it was it was impressive. Yeah, but I totally get what you're saying, and I think every NFL fan can get behind that. Somebody feels that way, like whether you're Steelers, Packers, Bucks, Panthers, you know, Bills, Bengals fan, you feel that way about some team because of some fan you know, and you know yeah. that's why a lot of people feel that way about the Cowboys is because they feel that way. Like you got some annoying Cowboys fan that's always talking about how they're going to win the Super Bowl every year. That's not us, but we as Cowboys fans can recognize that there are some idiotic fans out there that just do not have real expectations for Dallas. Yeah. But speaking on the Niners, like we're going back to the Niners. Uh, I, I totally agree. That's the first, the, the one of the notes that I have is that's the first game that I've seen Kyle Shanahan create a great game plan that has like that built them back into the game. And I think that what you said is exactly correct. Is well, Shanahan's game plan at the beginning was getting their ass torn up by the Lions' run game. I mean, you look at it, but everything was working for the Lions in the first half. In routes, running game, getting the ball to Jameer Gibbs, finding Jameson Williams in space for a touchdown, uh, getting the ball to Sam Laporta. Laporta was having an incredible game. Dude I mean, is a monster. He is so good, but the. The thing that changed this game was the fact that the Niners were at home. They don't get the fourth down the first time of 14. The Niners walk down and score, and they open the second half with a fumble. I mean, then all momentum just went straight to the Niners, and then it was like the Niners just came alive. So yeah, I totally agree. It wasn't like a Shanahan masterclass or a Brock Purdy masterclass comeback. I mean, props to him for coming back. But it was the mistakes of the Lions that kind of put the Niners back into like believe mode of like, oh shit, we're down 24-7. And then it was like, oh, we're down. Okay, we scored. Oh, bubble. Yeah. Hey, we got a chance here. And then yeah. all of a sudden they're back in the game. So Yeah, exactly. And you know, it, it also proved once the last comment I'll make is it proved once again that the most valuable asset um on that team is Christian McCaffrey, who they did not oh, shy away yeah. from giving him the football. And also, I, I think I believe he got hurt. I believe he hurt his neck on that on that tackle late in the game, and because he didn't 
play. I get it was towards the end, but they didn't play him the rest of the game, even for the kneel outs, which, and they were started massaging his neck. So thank, thank goodness there's two weeks to heal, but the, the way that he crashed on the crown or top of his helmet, you yeah, know, at full speed, I, I think, I think he injured his neck. Um, yeah. So, you know, hopefully I don't think it'll make headlines because there, there ain't no way that Christian McCaffrey is going to sit out this Super Bowl. Um, but, you know, T's and P's because that is a neck is like we saw with Vander Ash. Yeah, it's I mean, not something it might have been, it might have been just like a you know stinger or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, and those those hurt. I've had a couple of those, but that didn't look like something that was just a stinger. Just by the way he fell on yeah. the ground, that that looked painful as hell. Yeah, and so. it could have been like a pinch nerve or something like that. Right. Um, but uh, whatever it was, I think it bothered him. Um, I think he'll be fine. He's gonna play, but you know. They won't go on the injury report. I would like love to see, see him that. have like a neck brace, like yeah, like a come out. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pure white boy running back right there. Yeah, I want him to come out and uh, don't hold Steve Austin pads from uh, the longest yard, just the yeah. biggest pads. <laughs> that's how a white man runs a football. <clears throat> All right, well now let's get into our shatter the script segment. So we figured this one would go right along with the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl all along is what I titled it. Um, and so if you haven't been aware, uh, you know, there's social media, obviously you got Instagram and TikTok and Twitter, and it's kind of made its way around every single platform talking about the logo for the Super Bowl and that the past four or five years that the logo of the Super Bowl has corresponded with the two Super Bowl teams that participated in the game. And this year it was lined up to, it was purple and, and red lined up to be a, what people believe was a Ravens and 49ers Super Bowl. And then once the, the, both those teams got the number one seed, it became getting increasingly more popular to say that this was the route and this was the script. However, I think people caught on and a lot of people started to wake up to this script and they had to make, an audible because why who came into the league just a couple of weeks into it out of nowhere taylor swift taylor swift comes out of, i think it was like week three four it was very early in the season but it wasn't before the season that that taylor swift and kelsey began to show on uh, on live television. People started complaining that they didn't want her at the games, but then she generated $331 million for the NFL, and she's making them bank and bringing a new audience in and just doing all these wonderful things to make money. And the one thing we always say in life, um, you know, in terms of seeing the how we see the world is follow the money. And so I think people awoke to the script, which was talked about before the, the leagues, uh, this season started, and then they implemented Taylor Swift into the NFL, which then brings us now to the new script, the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl versus the 49ers, the rematch with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey making out in confetti after the game. Headlines, <laughs> entertainment news, Time Magazine, ESPN, TikTok, Instagram, viral everywhere, Swifties go below Travis Kelsey gets down on one knee and proposes to Taylor Swift after the Super Bowl. I can <laughs> I can see it all right now. This was the script from the beginning, folks. It's not like Alex Alex Jones in this podcast right now, but you know, and all jokes aside, it could be real. I'm not saying I believe this is it, but that's this is our job: shattering the script. 
I think this is what happened. I really do. I think I think this is a high possibility. And you have a more probably a more realistic take on this. I don't know. But. <laughs> I just have that like I mean, you saw the number they made like 350 extra million this year just by Taylor Swift being involved. But you yeah, know, I just have like you know the headlines of the Super Bowl. I mean, everybody's gonna have all eyes on Taylor Swift. They're all talking about if she's actually gonna make the Super Bowl because she has some, I guess her four or whatever in uh Japan like the night before. But I don't know. Like it, it just it's it's annoying. Like and I get why the NFL is wanting to do it, but it's just annoying because it just feels so fabricated almost. Um and it, I, I'm I'm sick of seeing it just because it's like I don't really care who's dating who. I just want to see if Travis Kelsey can catch the ball <laughs> and if Mahomes can get him with the but like that's kind of like such an old head. And people are starting to say, like, oh, you're overreacting to it. And it's like, I don't really care how much she's on the screen. Like, if she, as long as she's not on the screen every time somebody catches the ball, that's fine. But what I'm getting really tired of is how how they are, how the NFL account and stuff is, you know, I guess, amplifying Taylor yeah. Swift being at the game. It's like, it's okay, great. Word. Like, you know, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, okay, cool, they're dating. Um, I just want to know if Pratt Stills can run an out route still. <laughs> and I'm caring about what he's doing on the field, not that Taylor Swift is in the box with his his mom. Yeah. So yeah. But you know, I think other things to pay attention to or other headlines that I think everybody's kind of worried about for the Super Bowl is like how's the ha- how's the halftime performance gonna be? I feel like that's something that everybody, yeah. you know, you get about Gosh, six baby. beers deep. Yeah, you get about six beers deep. You have to sit through the halftime and maybe scrolling through some more bets or something. Yeah. And you have to bet. watch like the, the Usher halftime or something that like it's funny because I always feel like they pull people from like 2004, 2003. Yeah. And it's like, why like a couple years like, ago? They don't they even perform. Like, yeah, they did like anymore. 50 Cent and uh Madonna Snoop Dogg, stuff like that. I'm like, this music's from like 2000 and like I, I like 50 Cent, you know. But he also looked like an offensive lineman when he got out there. He, yeah. he was looking pretty happy. But, you know, the other one I think that a lot of people are going to be asked before I covered it is, like, is Mahomes the GOAT? And Jared the might be right. They might give him another Super Bowl because he's been blessed with the Kelsey Swift uh, Infinity Stone. Yep. But I don't know. We'll see. The other, the other one I have is, is Brock Purdy not a game manager? You know, if he goes into the Super Bowl and plays his ass off, you know, you're like, oh, well, maybe. But so did Garoppolo, and Garoppolo True. left the Niners, and he's not even going to be yeah. the Raiders quarterback, most likely. And then, you know, what's next for the T-Swift-Kelsey relationship? Jared already kind of alluded to that and saying maybe, you know, it makes Kelsey, sense. instead of saying I'm going to Disney World when he's hoisting up another trophy, <laughs> he gets T Swift on the stage and proposes to her, and then it'll send the whole world into World War Three. Uh, yeah. And then the next one is basically like, what is Andy Reid going to do next? A lot of people are talking about um, maybe he retires, maybe he sticks around. Uh, who knows? He's kind of hinted at it once or twice. You know, he's getting older. If you think about it, he's he's been in the league for a long time, and he's had a lot of success. 
Maybe another Super Bowl sends him along his way. Maybe he's still hungry to keep winning with Mahomes. I mean, personally, if I'm Andy Reid, I'm like, hell, I've got the best quarterback in the NFL. We, we get yeah. I'm gonna stay in the cheeseburgers. Kill me. Yeah. So those are kind of the headlines I have going into the Super Bowl. Um, but, you know, another one you could add is one Jared one out is McCaffrey. Okay. So yeah. Yeah, and those are I, yeah, those are all things to work, watch out for. Like the, with, to your point about the you know Purdy you know being a game manager or not, and that like if he balls out in the Super Bowl, but we know that the the path and that the way that he's played and um, you know his his validity compared to the rest of his teammates, we made a similar argument for Jalen Hurts um, when he went to the Super Bowl and said, "Well, hold on, you know, look what look at the path." You know, we actually think he's less than what he's showing right now. And then we got this year um, from Jalen Hurts. And so it, we could still be right about Brock Purdy. I mean, I, I don't want to take anything away from him, but there there was reports they wanted Tom Brady instead of Brock Purdy that I brought up on the podcast, I think, a week or two ago. Um, you know, they – I don't think they want to sign him to a deal. But, you know, props to Brock Purdy just, just going out there and doing his job. That's – and I've always said there is I hate that this game manager narrative has come into play from a guy like Cam Newton, you know, who's just kind of trying to get a click. But when you listen to it, when you watch a game manager, that's the job of a quarterback. Everything outside of that or above it is just another feature to a product. And yeah. I think that if you are obviously you know what you're getting when you get a game manager. Like, did anybody think that Baker Mayfield's year this year? was a failure and is he a game manager yeah he's a game manager was the season a failure no it was a demonstrative success because he was in a one-year prove-it deal he had a great touchdown interception ratio won his division won a playoff game and almost won a second so i i don't like i don't like to take to take away from a game manager i just think it just tells you that you know exactly what you need for them to win ball games um, and that there are just some things that they can't surpass, like a, like a Mahomes or like a Josh Allen in the regular season every once in a while. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just props to Brock Purdy. And the last thing I'll say on the Super Bowl is that I'm calling it right now. I think Travis Kelsey is going to get on a knee and propose to Taylor Swift once they hold the Lombardi Trophy and they will walk into the sunset. Travis Kelsey will retire and – and be gone and he'll just continue with this <laughs> podcast and Jason Kelsey will retire as well if he hasn't already. Yeah. Uh I think another note that we kind of skipped over. I, I just thought about Travis Kelsey and his podcast, the Justin Tucker pregame BS. Yeah. yeah. That was really stupid. You know, like Tucker's been doing it for 10 years, warming up like that. And then Kelsey and Mahomes start pulling a kicker. And it's like, dude, yeah. Just tell him to move. Or like you move over. There's a hundred yards of field here, and then you go on your podcast and you start talking about how, like, you know, he's going to get up and you know you can take his helmet and go elsewhere and like throw his kicking team. And it's like, okay, yeah, well, you got him, you got him, <laughs> you got the kicker, man. Congrats. Yeah, yeah, it, would, it looked like high school bullying. Put the fear of God like. in the kicker. Yeah, it was like you turn on a Disney movie and the kids getting bullied in high school, and you're just like, yeah. you know hi, you're a loser nerd, and then, like, throw his lunch money in, like, the uh, or his lunchbox and dump it over his head, and it's, like, bananas and apples. And you're just like, ha, you suck. You're such a nerd. And then they walk off. It's like, God, I hate Derek. Like, that's <laughs> what it looked like. I was like, this is so childish. Y'all are 
34 year old adults yeah you know and like what what are we doing here just kindly go up to the white gentleman and say <laughs> you know hey you know i think i'll use my credit card and move your <laughs> stuff over so yeah it, it was nonsense to me um okay that was our Shadow of the Script segment brought to you by The Analyst and The Rook. And we're going to move into our track ranking, or I'm sorry, our uh, Associated Press 2023 NFL Player Award nominees. These are your MVPs, your Offensive Player of the Year. It's like the full list um, that we're going to give. And I'm going to share my screen. That way everybody can see who the participants and nominees are. Um, so I think yeah, this is it. Here we go. All right. And if any comments on the side seem to seem to be out of the ordinary, please don't blame me. Uh, we're good. But okay, we'll start with the first page here. Um, actually, this is the second page. MVPs. The the nominees for the 2023 MVPs are Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Christian McCaffrey, Dak Prescott, and Brock Purdy. Um, okay, out of those guys, who do you who do you have? I mean, I, we kind of covered it before, but. Who do you have? Went, who do you think is the most deserving of the MVP this year? Hmm. If you had to choose one, I, I mean, if you, if, if this including players, yeah, and if this award is so old that they just need to redo it, but uh, I think the two most deserving guys, if we're not including playoffs, like because that's what I think of when we look at these awards, is like who do you not include when? when you get into the playoffs, like, cause that's what the base, these finalists off of is like the season. Yeah. And after doing that, I think the two most deserving are Dak and Christian McCaffrey, just based off of their sheer numbers. Um, but if you're including playoffs, I would have to say it's McCaffrey and, and Josh Allen. Um, I think Josh Allen really turned it on late in the season. Um, you know, his, he wasn't the, Sole reason for their loss, and granted, he was playing Mahomes and it sucks, but like I think those two guys to me, if you're including the playoffs, are the two guys that I would pick. But if you're not including playoffs, it's to me, it's Prescott and Caffrey. If you, I mean, just go like we talked about it before, go look at the numbers. Prescott was the best quarterback all year, and McCaffrey was an absolute juggernaut all year, um, running football, yeah. Um yeah, I, I, I agree with a lot of those. And I said earlier that the MVP was going to be uh, Lamar Jackson. Um, but I think his name on this list or on this as a nominee here um, represents his team, not himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I really do think it speaks more to the team um, that he had. And I know that he he bounced a lot of M NFC uh, teams that were, you know, playoff teams or above 500 winning teams during the regular season. And that speaks a lot, but that also has to do with the number one defense. And you, you kind of have to add performance as well. Um, when you're, when you're grading an MVP, it's like basically saying best stats, most wins, most flashy, you know, everything that you want yeah. an MVP. And I think if you look at it, who had the most explosive games, the games in the regular season, the, the highest point differentials, and there's two guys on this list um, in the quarterback position, and that's Josh Allen and, and Dak Prescott. Yeah, think, and to go to your point for like the team award, I think Brock Purdy is on that list for that reason too. I think Brock exactly. Purdy had a better season than Lamar. Yeah. But I mean, if you go look at like that's why Christian McCaffrey's up here too, because that team was dominant all year yeah. and it wasn't just Brock Purdy. So, yeah, yeah. And it, another name that probably should have been on here, which I'm surprised it's not, but I, I get you, you can't fit them all. 
is uh, like Tyreek Hill. Like Tyreek Hill belongs oh, in there. Yeah, with look Christian at the next. McCaffrey. Look at the next one we're going to go through right here. Yeah, yeah, and like offensive player of the year, um, Tyreek Hill, Lamar Jackson, Ceedee Lamb, Christian McCaffrey, Dak Prescott. Now this is the fun one where like the NFL will probably get the MVP, give the MVP to Lamar, like we said, and then like probably do something stupid and give the offensive player of the year to Dak Prescott, and then just be like, wait, what? That both of those are wrong because yeah. you know Tyreek Hill and C.D. Lamb and Christian McCaffrey were the three best offensive players this year. Um, yeah, and I think yeah. it's almost in that order. Like if you're looking at like one, two, three here, let's like gold, silver, bronze. I think. Tyreek Hill should win this award. McCaffrey should come in at two and then CeeDee Lane at three. Yeah. I think, yeah. like, I think if you're giving this award to the best offensive player, it's clearly Tyreek Hill. I mean, that guy almost had broke the receiving record this year. Yeah. He was crazy good. It makes no sense because the MVP award is a quarterback award. So I don't believe that a quarterback should be in the category of an offensive player of the year. You know, yeah. it just doesn't make any sense. And I get we have all pro for stuff like that. Um so, yeah, I mean, on the offensive player, the, I, I totally agree with your list there with the, you know, if you're going to rank them, you got Tyreek Hill, Christian, Mahaf- Christian McCaffrey, and CeeDee Lamb. And you can argue between whether McCaffrey should be in front of Tyreek or not. Um, but, yeah, I don't feel like quarterbacks should belong on that list. Um, and then defensive player of the year, uh, we got our boy, Deron Bland, in there uh, with Max Crosby, Miles Garrett, Michael Parsons, our boy, and TJ Watt. Um, they're definitely not going to give it to the Cowboys. So you need to no. – we can go ahead and remove Darren Bland, Darren Bland, who had nine interceptions this year, um, almost as much as Ty, uh, Trayvon Diggs um, two years ago. And then Michael Parsons, who had an outstanding year. In terms of, like, advanced statistics, he was one of the most efficient pass rushers in the league. You're right there, if not in front, right next to Miles Garrett and Max Crosby. So I think Miles Garrett will win the defensive player of the year if I'm a betting yeah, man. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. think it's Miles Garrett one. I think they'll probably put TJ Watt at two just because he has all the pretty boy stats, like sacks. Yeah, the flash. And then years. I would say number three is probably going to be Micah. I would say number three will be Max Crosby. I, I really do believe that Deron Bland and Michael Parsons probably won't even get a vote. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Bland <laughs> will because later in the season after his, you know, immaculate or his streak of interceptions, he kind of got torched later on in the year. But, you know, I think yeah. Michael Parsons like rushed that and stuff like that. You know, I don't think this group's going to look at it, but you know he was one of the most proficient pass rushers this year. That's only why I say three, but I would say Crosby comes in a close fourth. See, yeah, I would be curious to know like what the committee or the voters what they look at when they vote. You know, um, I, yeah. I'm hoping they have access to like those advanced statistics and make a decision. You know, based on something like that. We're like this dude was the most efficient at his position. Or this dude was the flashiest, like, and they have the freedom and liberty to uh, to grade based on their own tendencies that they think um, should make a player like these deserving. Or um, this player was commanding two people to block him all year type stats, where it's yeah. like he needed two or guys. Three. But, yeah, yeah, or three. And it's, um, okay, coach of the year, um, Dan Campbell in there for the Detroit Lions, John Harbaugh for the Baltimore Ravens, Tamiko Ryans for the Houston Texans, Kyle Shanahan for the 49ers, and Kevin Stefanski for the Browns. Um, it's got to be D'Amico Ryans out of this list. If you're going to give him the really? most – Yeah, I mean, I would say it would be D'Amico Ryans here because 
he did it. He got a team that was expect. It was the lowest expectancy out of the rest of the, out of the rest of the uh, the uh, coaches in that list. And he ends up winning the division, winning a playoff game, ten wins, and is going to have the rookie of the year quarterback and C.J. Stroud. Like I, I think on paper, if you look at the definition of the coach of the year, who did the most coaching for success, I think D'Amico Ryan's fits that narrative. Yeah, I think it's a close call between D'Amico and Dan Campbell. Yeah, because that's Dan good. Campbell just took a team that hasn't seen the light of the day in the playoff in years to the NFC Championship. So I think it's definitely like all these other coaches are. I think are great, but you know, like the Ravens were expected to be good. The 49ers have been good for three or four or five years. Yeah. Kevin Stefanski on the Browns, like the Browns were. I He's think, probably third on that list. Yeah. Just because how impressive their defense was and the yeah. four quarterbacks that he had. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the one, two guys that you're going to be paying attention to the most is Dan Campbell and definitely D'Amico. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. And I would, I wouldn't care which one of those won. Um, I just think. My definition would be a guy like D'Amico. Yeah. Um, so, okay. All right. Next page, the assistant coach of the year. We can kind of just jot through these because, you know, Ben Johnson, Mike McDonald, who we talked about, you know, moved to a new team. Um, Todd Bonkin, Jim Schwartz, and Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator for the Texans. Um, and this is one where I would I would give to Ben Johnson or Bobby Ben Slowick. Johnson or Bobby Slowick. Again, Texan – Lions, yeah, yeah I, I definitely agree. Yeah, yeah, and I think Ben Johnson. I mean, what he, I mean, what he did this year in the last couple, last two years, I would say, have been very impressive. Um, and his scheme is just, it's pretty electric, and how it built over time throughout this year was was fun to see. And he's a young, energetic coach, uh, which is popular in the NFL these days. And the same thing with Bobby Slowick. You know, he he commanded an offense with C.J. Stroud where he had the fewest turnovers at quarterback this year and, you know, broke Dak Prescott's rookie record for the most pass attempts without interception. Um, he had some injuries at wide receiver throughout the year and continued to um, just put up numbers and compete. Yeah, he's in, a huge game spots. changer. And yeah. a good note there is there, both of those OTs were high, like, candidates, and both of them are now staying – with their teams. Yeah, ben Johnson good. staying with the Lions and Bobby Slowick is staying with the Texans. So that's great for both Jared Goff yeah. and for uh, CJ Stroud. If I'm Slowick, I want to stay another two years. I want to stay yeah. until it's contract time for CJ Stroud um, because they got some special cooking over there. And it's what it looks like, unfortunately. Um, okay. Offensive rookie of the year. Jabir Gibbs, Sam Laporta, Puka Nakua, Bijan, and CJ Stroud. Now, I've got – I wish they had an offensive quarterback of the year because, you know, and I get you can't really do that all the time, but C.J. Stroud would 100% win that award. But mm -hmm. Puka, Puka Nakua, dude. I yeah, mean, that's what I was going to say. Puka <laughs> Nakua had a hell of a year too. That dude can ball. And even when Cooper Cup came back, he was still dominating in numbers. Uh, yeah, and then, but I mean, this is a clear-cut, easy C.J. Stroud. Yeah, I think it's yeah easily C.J. Stroud, and then I don't want to knock on Sam Laporta either. I mean, no. that dude's he's all, gonna be all a five of those guys, except for B. John, because of reasons. You know, yeah, all four Smith of those reasons. Yeah, <laughs> all five of those guys are gonna have bright futures in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, and that's a fun rookie list. 
Yeah, it's, um, that's a lot of fun, honestly. Yeah. Um, okay, defensive rookie of the year with you know Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, Joey Porter Jr., Kobe Turner, and Devon Witherspoon. Oh, I know wait. Devon. Hold on. So, on the offensive rookie of the year list, if you look at that, a lot of those guys were league winners for fantasy football too. Yeah, like yeah, big yeah. Compliments to your fantasy football team. So that's Gibbs, the cool thing. Anyway. Yeah, Gibbs exploded. I think C.J. Stroud was top ten. Bijan was top fifteen. Laporta was top four, and Puka was top five. Yeah, you could even say like. Those out of those five, those are guys like if you're in a keeper league, that you're like, yeah, I'm definitely keeping this guy. Yeah, or you sold the house for him somehow yeah. or some way in the offseason or yesterday. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, with the defensive rookie of the year, and I was going to speak on Devon Weatherspoon because he had a very quiet, very good year, but it was quiet, wasn't really talked about because you know, he was playing for the you know Seattle Seahawks, who had a tough go at it with a tough schedule and a tough division. And then Joey Porter Jr., I think he's over there in Pittsburgh. You know, cornerbacks are just – they're hard to talk about because there's so many. you got three or four on the field at all times, essentially. And, you know, they get kind of hidden in a lot of way in like a deck of cards. Um, but, you know, props to those guys. But I, I think Will Anderson um, or Jalen Carter, I think, are the two guys that I think I would give this award to. But Will Anderson and advanced statistics when he's talking about pressure percentage, double team rate, sacks – you know, for a rookie, I think he he's the definition of a rookie of the year and on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think the good point to make here is, like, if you go look at the defensive player of the year, how many of those guys are edge rushers? Well, there's four out of the five that are edge rushers. Crosby, Garrett, Parsons, and T.J. Watt, and you have the wrong land in there. Like, the Texans traded away some picks to go get their guy, Will Anderson. They needed an edge rusher. And what do we say it makes good? defenses, edge rushers. What's the most important position to have is a pressure on the quarterback that creates havoc in the backfield. And that's what the Texans did. And they've got a bright future in Will Anderson. So I, th- I agree. I think Will Anderson wins this award. I'm not really sure who comes out in second place, though, because um, that's, that's another good list of defensive rookies that either, you know, like Joey Porter was on the Steelers that just had a really ugh, year. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think Will Anderson wins this this award. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the flashiest. Um, and then comeback player of the year. Now this one's intriguing because, and I, you know, you got Stafford and Tua at the bottom there, but you got Joe Flacco, DeMar Hamlin and Baker Mayfield, which all season long, we were like, if DeMar Hamlin just plays one snap, he's going to get the comeback player of the year because he's Jesus Christ. And, you know, and we're sitting here and props to him. I'm glad he made it back on the field, but you know, in terms of, <laughs> I don't know. I I don't want to get too PC. In terms about of product, productivity, I mean, even before his injury, he wasn't like he was just special teams guy. Like he wasn't doing much. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And props is whoever put up a highlight tape of him from his year this year on TikTok. It was like three plays, and it was all special teams. And it was like, <laughs> you know, Demar Hamlin's you know highlights were freaking nasty. You know, and I, that shit makes me laugh. But at the same time, Joe Flacco comes out of retirement, basically, and just starts dicing up the league to get him, you know, a, a seed in the playoffs. And and I know he he they kind of blew it, but, you know, he came out of nowhere. But the one I want to give this award to out of anybody is Baker Mayfield. I don't know why. I just I I, totally agree. The dude has had a rough go at it ever since he missed the ever since the Browns moved away from him to go sign you know, one of the worst humans on this planet outside of um, Saddam Hussein. 
and you got uh, a dude, he bounced to the Panthers and he bounced to the Rams. And then now all of a sudden he finds a home and everybody's making fun of him before the season starts that he can't hit a tight end and open stride in practice. And then he comes out throwing, you know, 28 touchdowns and like 10 picks, you know, winning the division, winning a playoff game, almost winning the divisional round versus the Lions. Um, played well in that game. And he's, you know, sniffing the, the smelly salts before the game, slapping his helmet. You know, it looked like Oklahoma Baker. He looked like he was home. Uh, so yeah. I think comeback player of the year, the one I would – I'm petitioning for is Baker. Yeah, the NFL will give it to tomorrow, but out of this list, I think you got to give it to Baker. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And then we got to do our track ranking in accordance to this list. Um, so our top three player nominees um, from this list in order of our track ranking. So um, gold, platinum, and diamond. Um, and so the analysts, I'll let you have the first go at it for your track ranking, your gold. Top three. Uh, my gold is the guy we were just talking about, Baker Mayfield. Everything we just said, um, nobody kind of saw him coming, basically. And, um, you, you know, the, they kind of counted out the entire NFC South. And then the whole year we're talking about, like, well, whoever gets in, are they even going to be worth anything? And and Baker Mayfield made the Bucks worth something. And I think it kind of made everybody around him better. Uh, obviously, the OC for the Bucks is now gone, but it gave Baker was in a proven deal and he came out and he said, You know what? I'm going to show these people what I'm made of and basically bet on himself. And yeah. he was pretty dang close to being in the Lions and he beat the breaks off, off the Eagles. So he was, he was playing very high caliber football late in the season and, and that's all you can ask for. And it goes back to the question I asked um, when we were covering the first of the wild card wild water the wild card weekend is like can you imagine how the browns feel right now if yeah. they had baker May- they're watching baker mayfield and they're like damn we just paid a sexual predator <laughs> yeah that's my goal ranking is uh baker mayfield for sure for a comeback player of the year yeah that's a good one um and i went kind of a, a different route with this list i kind of went with the people that i Thought are, they're going to go unnoticed kind of on this list, but I think they had a, a, just an extravagant year in terms of expectations. Um, what, my first, my gold ranking was Deron Bland. Um, you know, this guy was not supposed to be an outside number one corner going into this year. You know, with Stephon Gilmore and Trayvon Diggs, he was supposed to be that number three nickelback corner. And obviously Trayvon Diggs, unfortunately, goes down with the ACL tear in practice, moving Deron Bland to the outside where Deron Bland will break the pick six touchdown record um, this year, you know, eight or nine interceptions, which is almost as much as Trayvon had a couple of years back, which is extremely difficult to do in the NFL and was a very quiet guy. I think the one thing that, that hurt Deron Bland was the spotlight because there was two or three weeks that he was in post-game interviews and they were giving him all this attention. I think he's a very conserved player. He goes about and does his business. And I think he didn't, I don't think he I don't think he liked it. So um I, I I think his season was very underappreciated and he just blew away expectations in terms of just being that number three nickelback cornerback, kind of finding his spot in the in the in the pros. Um and he and he exceeded. I think that's I think that's a good one. I like that you're doing that with your list though. Mine's kind of the same. Uh I thought maybe Baker Mayfield would be kind of like an unhighlighted guy on this list. 
Yeah, I but, agree. Uh, my, gosh, what do you call this? Platinum, gold, yeah, platinum. platinum diamond. My platinum. Um, it's kind of the same in the same boat. Uh, I picked Max Crosby for the yeah, defensive player okay. of the year because I mean, paint the picture here. Great season on his end. He's been very vocal about how you know them losing McDaniel's and how they've had to play down the entire year. There's been a lot of questions around Las Vegas, but he really backed the play of them keeping Antonio Pierce as their guy. And yeah. I think that's like very credible to him because he had such a crazy good year. And um, you know, him being up for defensive player of the year and basically going out and vocalizing as with the leader of the Raiders being like, hey, we really liked what we like what we had out of Antonio Pierce. We want to build on this. And that's what got yeah. Antonio Pierce's job. So I always thought I just thought that was kind of credible. And uh, you know, you don't see another Raider on this list because there's not a Raider out there that's really sparking anything like that. So shout out to Max Crosby. He might be uh yeah a little bit of an interesting character, which I think he is, but you know, I think him being on this list kind of shows a lot of, of what what he did for the Raiders organization. So yeah. that's my that's my plan. He kind of reminds me of a young Demarcus Lawrence, um, except probably better. You know, he's very, yeah, very efficient in the run game. Um, but yeah, my, my platinum was Puka Nakua. Um, you know, having him in there as a number four fantasy wide receiver, you know, 18 PPR points a game. You know, he was surpassed 100 receptions this year. Um, just all these things have just a random – I don't know. The, the video came out when they were uh, trying to draft this kid, and they were just like, yeah, you know, I think we're going to steal him in the in the late round, fifth or sixth round or whatever. He's going to, you know, steal the show. And he did exactly that. And, you know, Cooper Cup coming off that hamstring injury, then battle, battling through it all year, kind of wasn't himself. And Puka really, you know, carried the boats for this Los Angeles team with a gunslinger like Stafford. And I think it was a great fit. They'll probably be together for another two years for, you know, Stafford's probably done. Um, but yeah, I mean, this dude, I think he just came out of nowhere. No one would have expected, no one knew his name. No one knew where he came from. And then all of a sudden you have him top five, you know, fantasy wide receiver and the best rookie at wide receiver this year on paper. Yeah. I totally agree. I almost put him in here uh, as my gold ranking. Uh, my diamond ranking is kind of interesting because I've hated on this team a lot on this podcast, but mine's D'Amico Ryans as a yeah, yeah. head coach of the year candidate. And the reason I say that is because you think about where the Texans were last year, and I'm not even sure he wins this award. Kind of what I said earlier on this pod is like, I don't know if you can give it to D'Amico Ryans just because of what Dan Campbell did and the strengthening of the Lions organization that he did. But you can at least give flowers to Miko Ryan's basically saying, hey, uh, when's the last time the Texans were even remotely relevant or in any way, shape, or form season like that before Deshaun Watson? It's, it's been a while. They, they looked like a team that was going to go into the depths of hell for a good five, ten years after the nuclear missile they received of Losing to Sean Watson, Bill O'Brien's era, <laughs> trading away DeAndre Hopkins for a bag of chips. I mean, it just looks like they were a laughing stop, but they got D'Amico Ryan's uh, leading the charge, and then they went out and got, you know, they trusted him to go get his guys. They drafted Shroud. Like I said earlier, they went out and got Will Anderson. And those guys were the guys that, you know, helped them get 
where they where they are now. Yeah. So I think that to me is one thing that you you if you're a team that's broken, that's one thing that you want to see is the flip of the switch with like, oh, they finally have a good coach, they've got good coordinators, they've got good young players. We're headed in the right direction. So like even though they lost in the divisional, you can kind of say the same thing for the Lions and Dan Campbell. It's like you like the direction the team is heading in. And you know, I wish we could say the same for, for our teams. But, you know, my diamond is definitely D'Amico Ryans. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Um, and then my diamond is Josh Allen, uh, Buffalo quarterback. That's another good you know, one. I, I just think his season's going to go completely just swept under the rug. I mean, this dude, um, you know, Stephon Diggs did not play like a number one wide receiver for the second half of the of the season. And, you know, the, the compliments outside of – of Stefan Diggs or the accessories, I should say, outside of Stefan Diggs are just they're not up to par for a quarterback like like Josh Allen. You know, Gabriel Davis was had games where he didn't even catch a football. Um, but uh Kincaid, Dalton Kincaid was a great addition to Josh Allen. But just for him to go through this league and you know be six and six and then finish eleven and six, winning the five most important games in December and January, or November, December, and January, and then you know, winning a playoff game with this team and then should have beat the Chiefs the way that Josh Allen played, you know. Um, I just think it's going to get swept under the rug. I mean, he had an outstanding year, and I get it. Josh Allen's going to come with a lot of fumbles and maybe some interceptions, but he's going to throw a billion and rush for a billion touchdowns every year. And it's good news that we're going to talk about it now. You know, it's good news that, you know, Joe Brady is being brought back as offensive coordinator, I think that really changed and flipped the script for the, for the bills, you know, in the second half of the season. Um, but yeah, that's, those are our, uh, those are our gold platinum and diamond track ranking top three nominated players of the 2023 season. Um, okay. So we got a bunch of new, new head coach hires and offensive coordinators moving around left and right. And I'm calling it the new cast for the 2024 script. And <laughs> And I think it, it goes perfectly with this podcast. But, uh, um, yeah, we're going to start. We're going to go through it, going to give some brief comments on them because there was a lot of different moves. Um, but the analyst, I think you wanted to start with head coaches, right? Yeah, uh, and I'll yes. just quick fire through them. Yeah. And we can kind of give our quick comments, and then we'll move on to some coordinators. But I think it's good to start inside our division. Um, yeah. With the head coaches, obviously, uh, news came out today that the commanders – you know, they fired Ron Rivera, and then yeah. they hired our defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn. Personally, as a Cowboys fan, I am glad to see Dan Quinn go for the, you know, the comments I've made prior on this podcast about how our defense has been great in, in bad team scenarios. But, I mean, you saw what happened. If you're alive, you saw what happened in the Packers game, and it's happened multiple times before. So, you know, you have any comments on that one? Yeah, I mean, DQ, you know, moving to Washington is hilarious to me because, yeah. uh, one, we've said for a long time that he is so much better as a defensive coordinator than he is a head coach. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we yes, we did want him to kind of depart from Dallas because whatever his recipe was for us, I get it, it wasn't the worst, but it definitely wasn't the best. And yeah. um, he, he tried – you know, that's four years or yeah, three or four years under the same coordinator with kind of the same group 
um, and you made some extra moves this year and still kind of couldn't get it done. I get you lost Trayvon Diggs and um, and Leighton Vander Esch and stuff, but I just – I don't know. Um, I, perhaps you can – it's just weird to me also that the commanders swapped a defensive coordinator for a defensive coordinator, essentially. Yeah. Like they, they just kind of stuck with the same tier of head coach. I mean, I would say Dan Quinn's a better one, but – Yeah, he's definitely better than Ron Rivera, but I mean he's not – I just don't think it's a big upgrade. It's not, and it's like it doesn't scare me as like a Cowboys fan to see the Commanders go out and get him. Like if they went out and they got like Ben Johnson or somebody like that, I would be like, "Ooh, um, right. what are they? What are they cooking up there in yeah. Washington?" I'm but seriously fact, afraid of the agenda right now. Yeah, yeah, but the the fact that they went out and got Dan Quinn and like stole him from us, it's like okay. One, I'm not really scared of Dan Quinn because I think our offense is good. So yeah. he doesn't have the weapons over there. Like we're gonna have to play him twice a year. And we like Jared said, he's never really been that great of a head coach. He got the Falcons to the Super Bowl, but he was in charge of them when they basically blew it all to hell. Um, and then the other thing about that to me that I find interesting about Dan Quinn is like for the last three years, he's been a head coaching candidate. And you know, he's for the last three or the two years prior. The first year he was with Dallas, he, he said, you know what, job's not finished here. I want to be – I want to stay the D.C. So he stayed. The second year he did the exact same thing and was like, you know, I really like being the defensive coordinator here. I've really enjoyed it. I want to stay. And then the third year when you're, you know, looking and interviewing again, you decide to pick the commanders to leave yeah. the D.C. role and be the head coach of the commanders. Yeah. who have no quarterback. They just traded away two of their best edge rushers. They really don't have anything going for them. Like, yeah, they they're going to go risk your career yeah. and be a head coach again for the commanders? Why? So I, yeah. I found that interesting. Yeah, and my last comment on, on Dan Quinn would be that, you know, the, the commanders just just flooded how, – or uh, what's it called? This, they – Removed the house. Cleaned they, house. They cleaned yeah. house. Thank you. With all of their their GMs, owners, management, and just brought in this new era of people just to go for a fossil in the NFL for a head coach. Yeah. It just it made no sense. If you wanted to really freshen up your franchise, I would have gone and gotten somebody that you know that hadn't have been a head coach yet, like all those young, bright, you know, um coordinators that got head coaching jobs that were about to cover. Or even their coordinator they have now, Eric Bienemy. Bienemy, that's what you hired for. him for. Yeah, like, he, I don't know. I found that very interesting. It's kind of like a question mark for the commanders. But anyway, we'll yeah. move on. So um, the next the one we have on here is the Seahawks. The Seahawks let go of Pete Carroll. Um, that, that one was very interesting because they had, you know, he's 72 years old. Yeah, he's, he wasn't – the reports are that he wasn't quite ready to give up coaching yet. And the Seahawks, you know, Felt like it was time to mutually part ways with them, yeah. and they went out and hired um, the Ravens DC Mike McDonald, which yeah. I think is actually a good hire. Um, I've always seen Seahawks. I don't know why. It's just because we grew up watching the Legion of Boom. But yeah. I always feel like the Seahawks are like a defensive team. Yeah, you know, like it makes sense to me that they went out and got a DC. I'm just like, it makes sense because they. I always feel right. like, like I think of Dan Quinn coaching the Seahawks. I think of some of the other DCs they've added. Just always had like a 
a formidable defense. Anyway, do you have any comments on that one? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great hire. Uh, I think it's interesting. I think that Pete Carroll was probably just going to depart once Russell Wilson was traded. Um, his his tenure there with Geno Smith was not going to be a long term thing. So no, um, yeah. So I think it's a good move from Seattle. I, I, I it's best to move off of that era. It's 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 gone. So it's good to yeah. invite new change into the best defense that was this year in the Baltimore. So yeah, I think that um, I think it's a good hire as long as they go get somebody to support the offensive side. And I yeah. think that's what I always think about with defensive coaches. And it's the flip side. Like, you know, you can make this hire, but you better go find somebody that knows how to call offense too. Yeah. So, um, next on the list, we have the Falcons. Obviously, they fired Arthur Smith after he, him not being able to figure out Drake London, Kyle Pitts, or B. John <laughs> Robinson. So they went out and they hired former Rams DC Raheem Morris, who a lot of people have come out, like Kyle Shanahan has come out and said, you know, this guy's been a great coach for me. Um, I think this is actually a really good hire for the Falcons. One, because it comes from the Shanahan tree. The Shanahan you know, tree. He came with the shit. He coached with Kyle Shanahan. He was on Sean McVay's staff. There's another Shanahan guy. And I'm, you know, I'm big on the Shanahan's. And um, I think the league is recognizing that that's how this works. I mean, Bobby Slovic, the guy that we talked about earlier, he's a Shanahan guy and he's making big moves. Um, yeah. The Texans, guess who else was a Shanahan guy? Demico Ryans. He played for the Texans, but he also coached with Shanahan on the 49ers. He was 49ers yep. DC for years. So I think this is a great hire. Um, we'll get into who they hired at the OC. I have that on here too. Yeah. And this they uh, hired who did you know who they hired for their OC? I can't remember. Uh well, let me see. Um let's see. Up. No, Zach Robinson. They hired yep, Zach Robinson, and he yeah. was the he was the Rams offensive coordinator. I think. Yeah, that's the last huge. five years. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, you get another Shanahan or Shanahan or yeah, yeah Shanahan protege who has been under McVay, who is from the Shanahan tree, and he's been there for five years with one of the most explosive offenses. He's been to a Super Bowl. You know, that's a great hire for for an offense coordinator too, and that that's something that I would be excited about if I was a Falcons fan. And then you get to place a quarterback. Basically, they're going to go after whoever the hell they want because they have no allegiance to any quarterback on their roster right now, um, and so they have the freedom to go after whoever. Uh, I'm excited to see who they get. We've always been wanting to see another, you know, iconic figure like Mike Vick in a Falcons jersey. You just haven't seen yeah. it in a while. It just it it's meant to be the uniform. They go by the quarterback, they're gonna be dangerous. Yeah, that's the miss only missing piece. Yep. And then uh the Panthers, this one's kind of I think this was kind of interesting. Um, you know, they fired Frank Wright in the middle of the season and they just hired um the Bucks OC Dave Canales. And I think this is gonna be huge. Um, this is basically gonna be Bryce Young's like, hey, if you can't do it under this guy, we're going to find somebody else. But you know, this guy was huge for Baker Mayfield and he saw the offense for uh, the Bucks. Uh, they need to give him some time. That's why they gave him the six-year contract because they're gonna have some difficulties rebuilding because they traded away a lot of picks for uh, yeah. I mean that, that that is a definition of a dumpster fire team. But I feel like 
Alec was in a good spot there, and um, they might be able to build something out of there. And he did bring over his uh, wideout coach from the Bucks as the offensive coordinator, but uh, Canales was going to be calling the plays as the head coach, which makes sense because he he did a really good job this year for the Bucks. Yeah, yeah, he's done a fantastic job. Apparently, wherever he's gone, he's really elevated quarterback play. Yeah. Um, so it could be really good for Bryce Young. Yep. And this is a, and we're going to get into a couple big ones. So the Chargers fired yeah. Brandon Staley, brought in Jim Harbaugh. Everybody's been talking about this one. I think this is a big move. Um, obviously, Brandon Staley needed to go. Yeah. It was, it was this time. He should have been fired during the blowout, blowout versus the Raiders. Yeah, he should have been fired last year. But um, them getting Jim Harbaugh is huge, and not only for the Chargers organization, but I think it's huge for Justin Herbert. You know, we've been wanting to see Justin Herbert kind of elevate his game. I've been knocking on him all year about how it's like, man, you've got all this stuff around you, and you've, you've got the talent of the gods, and you just can't do anything with it. So maybe Jim Harbaugh being there is huge. Um I don't know if he's going to call plays, but what I do know is Kellen Moore is no longer there. He is now the OC for the Eagles, which is kind of funny if you're a Cowboys fan. But, uh, yeah, so do you have any comments on Jim Harbaugh being the coach of the Chargers now? Yeah, I think it's going to be a demonstrative help to Justin Herbert. I think they need to stick with Harbaugh for as long as they can with Herbert and just to see what he can do because they, they talked about Jim Harbaugh with Alex Smith you know, when they first started, I think they had a terrible record. And then the next year they went to an AFC championship when no one thought they would. Um, so Jim Harbaugh can coach. He belongs yeah. in the NFL. And if you think about it, it's going to create some really cool matchups. Sean Payton, Jim Harbaugh, and then, yep. you know, in that division, Andy Reid versus Jim Harbaugh twice yep. a year. Yep. Um, and then you John have Harbaugh. Seven. Yeah. His brother. And then, yep. And then, um, Let's see. Doug Peterson. Yeah. Oh, I was trying to figure out where I am on my list. The next one we have, I think this one's very interesting. I think this one was the most surprising of the offseason was the Titans firing Rabel. Yeah, hate and that. now Rabel is one of the two coaches, uh, the other one being Belichick, which we'll get to, but – Vrabel is one of the coaches that did not get a head coaching job. So the question is, is he going to sit out a year or is he going to go be a coordinator somewhere else? Um, I just think it's very interesting that Titans got rid of him. I think they're just kind of looking for a new brush of fresh air or yeah. a new breath of fresh air. And I think that's why they hired the Bengals OC Brian Callahan yeah. as uh, their offensive coordinator. I think they want to see if Will Levis is legit. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think they they think they have pieces on offense that they can make work. Um, that being, I don't know if Derek Henry's going to be there next year, but I mean, you're no. going to have a you're going to have um, you know Burks there. You're still going to have DeAndre Hopkins. You know, they have some pieces to work with where they could maybe make something happen there. So I think the Titans are just kind of looking for a new start, especially when they look around in their division and like, okay, you got. AR 15, like yeah. Colts, Stroud. Stroud, and you have T Law. Like, we need to make a change here. We're going to be left behind. So, I, I commend them for that. But I'm also the same thing. Like, I thought Rabel was a pretty good coach. So, yeah, no, he's a very good coach. And 
uh, he got the short end of the stick with a guy like Tannehill and and uh, Malik Willis, and then they drafted yeah. Will Levis, and they're like, well, this is no discredit to Vrabel, but there's no sense in him developing yet another quarterback when he's good enough to win with a guy like Tannehill. Let him go win with a better guy, um, yeah. and then we'll get an offensive-minded head coach to lead Will Levis. That I guess I think that was probably part of the logic. I'm not saying I agree with it because I think Vrabel's a great coach. So, Yeah. The last one I have is uh, not the last one, but this one we'll go over quickly. Um, Raiders fired Josh McDaniels midseason, and then Antonio Pierce. I've already kind of talked about it earlier in my rankings, but yeah, yeah. Um, Antonio Pierce becoming the interim head coach. Um, he had a lot of player backing. I think that one makes a lot of sense. Um, players coach. <laughs> yeah, players coach. And then the last one I have is Patriots letting go of the all-time great um, Bill Belichick and promoting from within Gerard Mayo, who played – linebacker for the Patriots for a long, long time. Um, I'm kind of interested to see how that plays out, though. Um, I would have felt like the Patriots would have gone with somebody offensively with how notoriously bad their offense has been since Brady left. But, um, you know, maybe they find a good OC that's not from the Belichick tree, and they figure out a way to make it work. And the question is, I don't know where they're going to go at quarterback. Like, Are they going to draft somebody? Are they going to – a lot of questions in the Patriots organization right now. So. Yeah, it's a complete flooded out rebuild. And yep. I think they'll go – this is a good quarterback draft to do it, um, especially if the participants end up entering the draft. Um, you need to go out and get a guy like J.J. McCarthy. Nah, uh, but we'll see. Hey, maybe go after another Michigan quarterback. It worked the last time. But, um, yeah, I – Complete rebuild over there. Belichick not getting a head coaching job through one cycle is is kind of odd to me. But I, I just think – I don't really think it's people not calling Bill Belichick. I think Jerry Jones commented on this is a make-or-break year for Mike McCarthy, and if he doesn't win this year, then he would want to talk to Bill Belichick. And I'm like, oh, my God. But, yeah, I mean, that, yeah. that's basically it. And then to wrap up our list, I have like a couple – I'll just – Shoot Fire off. away. Yeah. The coordinator jobs that have been filled that are kind of interesting to us, like the New England Patriots. We're talking about OCs. Bill O'Brien was the OC there. They fired him. And then Alex Van Pelt is the new OC. Um, he spent four seasons as the Browns offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Um, that's huge for them. Hopefully that works out. Um, another interesting one is – um, the one that everybody's been talking about all year, Pittsburgh Steelers firing Matt Nada, and they actually picked up Arthur Smith. I don't know if that's good for them or not, considering yeah. what he couldn't figure out how to get the ball to like huge people in this league. Uh, the other one that a lot of people talked about is the Green Bay Packers. Uh, they fired defensive coordinator Joe Barry. Um, if you look at Packers Twitter or a lot of their talks, they've been wanting to get rid of him for a while now, and yeah. they hired Jeff. Happily, who was the Boston College head coach. Yeah, I saw that. That was strange. Yeah. And then our division rival, the Eagles. They fired – we've been talking about their coordinators all year and how horrible they were. Um, they fired Brian Johnson, their offensive coordinator, and hired Kellen Moore. And then they fired their defensive coordinator, Sean Desse, I think is how you say his name. And they hired yeah. um, Vic Mangio, which to me is – Kind of worrisome. I think Kellen Moore's good. I don't know if he's going to be good with Hurts, but Vic Fangio with that defense is going to be um, pretty scary, I think. So, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, and then the other one that I, that played out this year and the last one I'll kind of highlight is uh, the Bills hiring full-time now Joe Brady for uh, OC. Yeah, that's going to be good. I think that's huge for Josh Allen. Yeah. Um, and it really showed, like Jared said earlier, in the later part of this year of how different the offense looked for the Bills and how effective it looked. So I think those are the most key – uh, coordinators right there, and there's still a lot of openings left. So we'll see some more movement as um, time goes on. Yeah, and I think that's going to be it. I like the the one that I like best is Joe Brady. I just think it it clearly made a difference those last five mm-hmm. or six games. Yeah, it made the most sense for sure. Yeah. Well, all right. Those are your coaching updates from across the NFL, which we're going to dive into more depth, obviously, during the offseason in season two of the track podcast which will be starting in around March. We'll announce a launch date and we'll be a lot more active with content in season two. And we're pretty excited for it. Um, So anyway, uh, we'll be back next Wednesday to kind of give our Super Bowl predictions and do a lot of fun stuff and um, reminisce on the times that the Cowboys were in the Super Bowl in the nineties, I guess. And just kind of cry soft tears, compact all of the script into one. And it's all been leading to this. So you'll catch us next week, shattering the script for the 49ers versus Chiefs Super Bowl. Um, so keep in mind that episode and share this episode with your friends um, on social media. And thank you guys for listening. Remember to subscribe to the podcast. You can visit track.pod on Instagram to view our link tree or the track pod on Twitter um, to view our link tree as well. You can get access to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, or you can find our video. Not, okay, I'm kidding. But um, thank you guys very much. This is Track 33, The Script, and we will catch you all next week.